All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. And that's actually exactly what we're working on, is how can you improve your practice? So we talked last week with Matt Drescher about the DAT, the Doctorate of Athletic Training Program. This week, we're talking about the PhD. And so in just some of the conversations I've had this week alone, I've seen people on Twitter or Facebook asking, hey, should I seek a DAT? Should I get a PhD? Which one is better and why? And so it's obviously a conversation that we need to have, and it's one that I'm interested in. And an interesting development since we talked last week is um, there's a job that's a district-level athletic trainer job that I'm going to be applying for. And and so it would give me more of an opportunity to work on my advanced degree, so whether that's the DAT or the PhD. Um, and so this conversation is more applicable this week than it was even last week for me. So... Matt, welcome back to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, and um, again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash PhD, the last one was sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash DAT, and this one is PhD, and then next week we're going to kind of compare and contrast the two, and we're also going to cover the ed, uh, EDD, so the Doctorate of Education, a little bit this week as well. So Matt, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yes, sir. What has changed in your world as far as athletic training, PhD, DAT, and all that stuff since we talked last week? Not much. Um, I've seen some talk on Twitter about the conversation, a little bit of what we had last week about um, value and and cost of money. But other than that, it it seemed pretty stable. Yep. All right. So, like I said, it's interesting that that I'm going to be applying for that job and it would give me a more, more of a reason because, you know, some of the, one of the things that we talked about was how getting an advanced degree to do the same job isn't necessarily the best idea, but if you're going to be advancing in jobs or changing jobs or moving up and that kind of thing. So we talked about the doctorate of athletic training. You talked about how it was a, a mindset and how it gives you the systems or the, the skills and the confidence to change system wide or make system implement system wide changes. And it's interesting when I was talking with one of my assistant principals and she's like, you know, that would being at that position would allow you to make changes system wide. And I was like, huh, interesting that they, you know, both sides have said something mm-hmm. like that. So, so we're going to talk about the PhD. What is the PhD? So I think to answer that question in full, we should probably go back a little bit to like what exactly a doctor is. And the term doctor comes from um, the Latin word meaning to teach. And so a doctor is essentially a teacher. Um, And there's different levels of doctors. There's PhDs or EDDs, DATs, DPTs, MDs, DOs. Um, So, but in essentially all of those people have, have gotten an education to a point that they're now able to teach others. Um, We, we kind of use it in today's like vernacular that a physician, we just call them doctors. Um, and it can make some confusing, but um, in technicality, medical doctors are physicians, um, whereas uh, PhDs, DATs were still doctors, we're just not um, medic, like the medical doctor side of it. So when we're talking about a PhD, it stands for a doctor of philosophy. And there's much more of a focus on theories and an application of theory 
versus the practical application of skills. Um, and that's where more so you're looking at clinical doctorates like a DAT, DPT, MD, DO. Um, if you think about it from a, um, how research is built, right? So there's a theory of something, let's say theory of biomechanics that uh, someone has thought up and we can reasonably assume. And then we, we research that theory and then we see if that theory is accurate or not. And if it's accurate, we build on it. And if it's not, we revise it. That's kind of the job of a DAT, or sorry, a PhD, not a DAT. The, kind of the job of the PhD is to be able to take some abstract theories and apply the knowledge to research to prove or disprove how those theories work in practice. There's a distinction between them because it's not necessarily you're, you're, you're doing the research to apply theories to practice, but you're not necessarily looking further into the applications in, in practice. And that's where the job of the clinical doctorates come in, the people who have DATs, um, DPTs, MDs, those things that are able to read the research, are exposed to it, and then apply that directly to patient care. Um, and so that's, that's, in a nutshell, kind of what the PhD is. It's not necessarily doing it in practice, but it's applying those theories uh, from an abstract level into more of a practical level. All right, so I took a psychology, I think um, intro to psychology class in college. On the very first test, I got like a 98, but that's because it was about the science of it, about how the body works. And then after that, it was about all this theory stuff, about you know all this abstract thought. And that's where I, I think I got like a 98 and then like an 88 and then like a 78 uh, on my test excessively because it became less and less interesting. So as we're sitting here talking about the PhD, the doctorate of philosophy and creating these abstract thoughts or, you know, these theories, it automatically puts me off saying like, oh, this is not what I want to do. I don't want something that I can't apply. So talk to me a little bit more about that and why I might why that perception might be wrong. So I think the struggle is that, yes, theories are some, like some abstract thought and you can't apply it, but the art form of a, of a PhD is being able to think about them and then turn them into something you could apply. Um, so if we think about, again, I'll go back to uh, a biomechanical model. We have theories, uh, we, well, they've been proven in subsequent research, but Previously, we had theories about exactly how the body works. Um, so let's say we didn't know how muscles were activated, but we had a theory about it. And so the, someone with a PhD was able to look at it and say, okay, we have this theory about how muscles, how can I apply that and actually test that in the real world? And that's kind of how a, a PhD would take the application aspect. They're not necessarily taking that straight to a patient but they're putting it into the real world, into a real testable, provable model. Um, but there is a lot of wrestling with abstract theories and um, schools of thought as to how to actually apply those. So I'm personally getting my PhD in education um, and there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say wrestling because it's not really a contest, but um, grappling with different theories of education and how those could be applied to educating athletic trainers moving forward. 
And then it's my job to, to take those theories and apply them to a concept to see what the best way to educate would be. Um, so there's more of a abstract thought to the PhD, but if you, if you think about your clinical practice, a lot of the abstract theories that you've already learned and now you're applying comes second nature. And it's just about learning a new skill or thought or concept. All right. So you're talking about the PhD is a doctorate of philosophy, but then mm -hmm. the, you also said you're getting your doctorate, your PhD in education. And I know Scott Mullet asked last week about the EDD. So the, the doctorate of education or ed, educational doctorate, whatever it is, however it, however mm -hmm. it says. So talk to me just a little bit about those two so we can clarify that. So uh, actually, Northeastern has a really good article on their website about EDD versus PhD. Um, EDD is the is more of a I don't I don't want to say clinical because they're not necessarily working clinically, but a professional doctorate degree. So similar to the way that the DAT is a clinical or professional doctorate of athletic training, the EDD is a professional doctorate of education. And so if you're looking to be an advanced practice or an advanced education leader in the educational world. Um, so educational administration, um, you know, top level senior uh, educational officers for companies and things of those natures. Um, and you, where you want to, where we're talking about applying this actually into the, into practice, that's really what the EDD does. It takes those, that research in education and then applies that directly to uh, a business or school or uh, what have you, wherever these people, wherever you would work as an EDD. Whereas the PhD, again, is more of the, the research academia based of finding the answers to the, the problems and the questions. And then an EDD would take those answers and then actively apply them. All right. So, so it sounds like the PhD is essentially re resigned to teaching about the concept, whereas the DAT or the EDD is resigned to actively implementing it. Is that like a oversimplification? I think the oversimplification is the word teaching because it's not necessarily teaching people like we would think of school or college or university or something like that. But thinking about teaching as in adding to the to the body of knowledge that we as humans have. So there's not just PhDs in education there. You can get a PhD in physics and chemistry, um, math, other things. And these, uh, these doctors of philosophy are adding to the body of knowledge that we know. So the same way you could go on Google Scholar, look up whatever you want and learn, technically those people that wrote those articles are teaching you something. So that's kind of the, the teaching of the PhD. You don't necessarily have to be in a classroom or um, at a university to be teaching. You could work at a national research laboratory or start your own research laboratory, but you're still teaching in terms of creating research. Whereas the EDD, DAT, they're teaching through clinical application. So as a, say you're a preceptor for an athletic training program, as a DAT member, you would be teaching them through your advanced practice leadership skills and your application of those things. And they're learning through 
um, experience in working with you. Um, and it's just at a different type of uh, interaction between the two. So you're not necessarily, uh, I wouldn't use the word resigned to teaching, but it's just the nature of the work is that you are a teacher. Okay. I think it's probably just my perspective, like the fact that I am a high school athletic trainer, a high school teacher, and I plan to stay in the secondary, the high school setting. I don't intend to go to college and I certainly don't want to be one of those lab PhDs. And so I think that's part of the part of the problem I'm having is that I just don't know about those other options. I don't really see them and I'm not contemplating or putting those into the perspective of understanding what the PhD is. But I understand now the it adds to the it is teaching through adding to the body of knowledge, but not necessarily teaching in a classroom type setting. Right. All right, so as an athletic trainer, so we'll we'll kind of focus on that. I'm I'm going to plan to stay in the secondary school. What we already talked about the DAT is a advanced clinical degree and mm -hmm. I like to make things better. I like to improve things. I like to leave them better than I found them. And I think that I feel like from the conversation that we had last week and then what we've had so far, the DAT would be better in that it's going to give me the skills and the confidence to continue to implement change rather than, whereas the PhD was, would encourage me to research stuff and that's really just not my forte. So as an athletic trainer, how is the PhD going to really benefit me and then the people that I directly interact with? Hmm. So I think, I think this question could get me into a deep hole <laughs> and I probably could keep digging. Um, I think the, the issue is that you need, we left off last week um, with talking about finding your, what your values are and following those values. And I think you need to make the connection towards that. Um, whether when, when you're deciding if you want to do a post secondary degree uh, or a terminal doctoral degree or something like that, I, I think I chose the, the, to get my PhD because I wanted to be, um, I want to be an educator to athletic trainers and within athletic training education, but I'm, I'm also really curious about the answers to these abstract things. Um, and that's what really good get, gets me moving. I want, I want to like learn about a concept and then I want to figure out if that's true or not. And if there's no research out there to prove that it's true or not, then I want to do it. Right. I want to find it. So, um, that's my value. That's what I see that I want to do with my life. But if that's not something you, you see yourself doing, you don't necessarily have to get a PhD to still make that change. Getting a DAT will give you research skills, the ability, a better ability to read research, organize it, synthesize it, even do it. Um, but you're not necessarily devoting your life to finding those answers. You're, you're, you're working towards um, being able to take the research, which we know is, is not always applicable to everybody and synthesize that to be applicable to your patient population. So I think the best way to describe kind of both of them is how they would work together. So if you think about it, um, let's say a new manual therapy technique comes out, let's call it technique X. So 
Technique X comes out. There's a theory behind why Technique X would work. Um, so a P, someone with a PhD would take that theory and make some experimental uh, or experiments with it and do the research and figure it out, whether or not it works, whether or not they say what it does, what it's supposed to. The DAT in that situation would then take that information and work on how to apply that clinically. So actually applying it to patients, making the, the an evidence-based practice decision on applying it collecting data throughout the, the term to see if it's applicable clinically. And then the PhD and the DAT could come back together and analyze that data and then figure out what's the next step for research. What's the next path for implementing X? I think we saw this a lot with foam rolling where foam rolling came out uh, or, or the concept of foam rolling came out. Everyone was like, yeah, you got to foam roll forever. And then as research has gone on and people have been implementing that research, we're realizing foam rolling is really not the, the be all end all we thought it was. So that is the, the, the balance between people who are applying it clinically and people who are doing the research working together. Um, we really haven't seen this at a large scale um, in athletic training. I think partially because we're, we're missing a lot of the clinical doctorates in the profession. Um, but if you look at it, this, uh, like physicians in medicine, uh, there are a lot of physicians that do an MD PhD program to do that research. And then they work with physicians working at an ER or in a cardiology lab with that research on how to apply it in together. So again, I, I could get really deep in a hole, but when you're looking at how a PhD could benefit an athletic trainer, it really depends on what you want it to do. We need them. We need people with PhDs because they benefit all athletic trainers by in increasing our knowledge, but it might not benefit you personally as an athletic trainer to get your PhD, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that definitely helps because, you know, like you just talking about the foam rollers or when I talked about cramping science with Ke Dr. Kevin Miller or Dr. Sandy mm -hmm. folks at Godek, you know, they were obviously they're doing lots of research, doing all sorts of tests and experiments and collecting that data. And it's good because it helps me know and then I can educate and implement that with my students here at the high school exactly like it's that's a perfect example right we we have a, we don't really know what causes cramping but we have a theory so they make an, an educated guess and an experiment and let's say the experiment works and it lowers cramping so they tell you hey use what was it hot shots or whatever it was back in the day like you know a, a shot glass full of hot sauce will stop cramping right mm -hmm. so they say hey this shows its promise here jeremy use this in practice and then you come back to them and say i use this a hundred times and only two people stop cramping so obviously we're missing something then they can go back and say mm, okay let's do more experiments let's go back forth back forth so that's a an excellent example of how the clinical application versus the, the research application should work together and we still don't really have a great answer um because this process is so complex, we need to keep going back and forth, back and forth. So yeah, I think that's an excellent example. All right, so thinking about the PhD athletic trainer, one of my core values, you know, I like working in the high school with high school setting with the, with the sports directly. And so I think that's part of my core value. I don't, I don't think I want to teach at the college level and I'm pretty sure I don't want to be a tenured research professional that, you know, has to create all these scholarly articles. I, I just don't feel like that's part of who I am. That's part of my core value. 
And so thinking about the athletic trainer, again, where have you seen the PhD um, candidates or PhD athletic trainers employed? Because what I think of is universities. So I think a lot of them are employed at universities, um, partially because the degree itself focuses more on the academic or academia research world. Um, but I, I think part of it is that there's just not the high enough volume of athletic trainers who got their PhD yet. There are a lot of them, but it's still not a, a massive volume. Um, but if we, if you think about it, you could work theoretically anywhere. Um, working in academia is, is kind of a lot of people's goal because a lot of people go into it wanting to educate more athletic trainers, but if you could work at, um, what's coming to mind right now is the Gatorade Sports Science Institute and working to do research on how to implement better hydration for athletic trainers. Um, and you're gonna, you would use your background as an athletic trainer, but also your experience doing research to be able to benefit that. You could work at um, a biomechanics laboratory and working on uh, advanced rehabilitation techniques for XYZ. So I think the, I think the, the possibility there is limitless. I just think right now where we see athletic trainers that have gotten their PhD is in academia, whether or not that's um, a, a balance of job security and availability I'm not sure at this moment, but um, I, I really think you can make the argument that they could work in a lot of different industries. All right. So we talked about the EDD, the educational doctorate, and then the PhD in education. What are some of the other doctoral programs, pathways, degrees, like the actual nom nomenclature or whatever it's called, of the degrees that athletic trainers tend to or should pursue? Um, so I think should is a hard word because again, it, it goes to your value. So if you don't value this, like if this isn't, it's not to say you don't value it, but if that's not something you value for yourself, um, then you shouldn't just follow it because you, you think that's what you do, right? You should follow your value. But, um, I've seen athletic trainers that go into med school and get their medical doctorate, athletic trainers that follow to PT school and get their uh, DPT, their doctorate in physical therapy. Um, the, the interesting thing is that it, there's not really that many names so or credentials. So EDD, PhD, DPT, those types of things. But the PhD can encompass so many more things. So a PhD in education, a PhD in biomechanics, PhD in neurophysiology, PhD in... Um, really anything. And what I would defer, I would defer the question to the listener um, and you, what, like what interests you, what are you following um, or what do you want to look into and then start looking up some programs, um, have some conversation with some faculty members, look into the research, see where those people work and see if you can follow with them. If that's what you want to do, that's kind of a, a, a way to guide you towards where to go. Um, but not necessarily that there's a, there's a ton of different nomenclature. Um, it's just that 
it branches off so widely. Yeah, I got you. And that's essentially what I was just looking for is, you know, hey, where are athletic trainers going? Where, what PhDs are they seeking? But again, you can get, like you said, you can get a PhD in physics and astrophysics and neurophysics and uh, quantum physics and, you know, all that thing. And so you really got to, I guess, as you're getting that terminal degree, you're looking to be more specific in your education. So you really need to figure out where you want to go and and you want the people around you that can help you guide that so if i'm here to get isu because i wanted to be an educator in athletic training um, and this is the place to do it if i wanted to be a biomechanist i would have gone to michigan state if i wanted to be an exercise scientist i would have gone to the university of south carolina right those that's where those people are that i would be able to become the expert in that area I could do my PhD in exercise science somewhere else or biomechanics or what have you, but it's not going to be efficient and it's going to limit my exposure to people who are already working in the field. And and that's where looking into other programs or looking into schools, looking into faculty, what their research lines are, what they're doing is going to help you make a decision of exactly where to go. I got you. All right, so what else can you tell me about the PhD for the athletic training? So I think when we we talk a little bit about kind of the, the, the role of the PhD in the profession, but when you think about it, I t- typically think of a PhD or an EDD as, a, as, a, as the steward, right? The one who's helping guide the profession through the body of knowledge and best practices. Um, then and they are the ones that are going to produce this new knowledge that can benefit practice, benefit patients, benefit actual practice, but without those people who are actually implementing that. So the clinicians that are actually working as clinicians, um, people with DATs or clinical doctorates, um, you can't, the knowledge is pointless. So they, they, we really need both aspects of the, of it to have an effective um, forward motion of the profession itself. Um, I think there's a viewpoint and for a lot of athletic trainers that PhDs, people with PhDs don't practice, they don't know what it's like in the real world, but fact of the matter is most of them have practiced and they went to the PhD because they weren't getting answers from their practice. And that's for them what they wanted to do but it's necessary to answer those questions or else we would still be you know draining blood and and looking at the humors of the body like we did in the renaissance in the middle ages right without research without the increase of knowledge we wouldn't be at the level of medicine we are right now so um and to that extent like i said without the people actually implementing the research uh someone researching with a phd is just learning things and there's no application so both of them together complement each other instead of rival each other and it makes the profession better i like what you said that that most phds have practiced but they weren't getting the answers or they weren't getting answers to whatever questions they had so they went basically to find them or to to create and i don't know if create the answer is the right word but to to dig yeah, to, out the answer to find them yeah. yeah 
they went they went back and learned how to find them and then are now finding them. So it's a it's a path that you could take, but it's hard. Um, I think most terminal doctoral degrees are hard. Only about ten percent of everyone getting a PhD actually finishes and graduates with their PhD. Not just an athletic training. That's a that's a global scale. So over all of the the uh, concentrations, physics, chemistry, uh, biology, medicine, anything like that, only about ten percent of people finish um, because it's difficult, and you need to want to you need to want to find those answers to put to push through that to be able to do it. And so um, I think there are other pathways to finding answers if you're not super driven, but, or not super driven to do a PhD, not that people aren't driven, but uh, if you're not the person who thinks they want to be a PhD, there are other ways to go about that. You can consult with people who have PhDs. You can do the research on your own. You can go and get an, a clinical doctorate degree and um, learn those skills moving forward as well. But um, this is just a, one of the paths you could take to be able to find the answers you're looking for. All right. So we started off with the question of why should I get my PhD? So let's kind of turn that around and go with some bullet points on why should I not choose the PhD? Hmm. Um, well, I think the biggest one is you shouldn't choose a PhD to make more money. You will typically on average make more money than, um, uh, you would, uh, as the national average as an athletic trainer. But if your goal is motivated by a monetary gain, that it's going to be very difficult to keep your motivation to go through the process. So if your goal is to make more money, there are better and less, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, extensive options uh, than going to get your PhD. I think the second thing you should think about if you're going to get your PhD is whether or not you, um, like, uh, as we said, want to find those research, that those answers. So if you're not someone who or if you're someone who is okay with just taking the facts um, and doesn't really question, then you shouldn't get your PhD. And, and not that that's a bad thing, but the art of a PhD is questioning and learning. And if you're not someone who's naturally curious, it's going to be more difficult to pursue that um, consistently over time, which is the requirement for a lot of faculty positions is that you're consistently producing research and adding to the body of knowledge. Um, those are really the only two things I can think of as why not to get a PhD. Um, I guess the third one would be a, a third one would be if it, if you, if it's not your core value. So if it doesn't align, if the whole process and everything doesn't align with what you value, um, don't do it. It's not, there's other things, like I said, there's other ways to advance your clinical practice um, and advance your yourself that could align better with your values. And don't, don't just do this because you think that's the next step, right? Oh, I got my 
bachelor's and then I now I've got my master's and now I have to get my PhD. It's just you know, the logical next step. That's not the case. It, it really should be something that you value and want to do because like I said, it's difficult and I heaven forbid you go through it and realize it's not something you wanted to do, but you've already paid for it and, and spent the time and time is one of our most valuable assets. So don't, don't waste your time doing something you don't really want and value. So going back to the the money thing, I have a bachelor's of science. So here at the high school level, here at my current school district, if I get my master's, I get $1,000 extra per year. If I get a doctorate, then I would get an additional $500. So if I went straight from a bachelor's to a doctorate, then I would get $1,500 a year. So if it was to say I made more money, well, doing the math, say, guessing $30,000 for my doctorate, it was going to take me 20 years of that $1,500 if I just stayed at the same. So realistically, I'm probably never going to recuperate or recoup, recoup, whatever it is, the, all of those costs for getting it. So financially, if it's just for money, I completely agree. But if it if it is, like you said, to to advance, to seek, to find those answers, to get those things that, you know, when I talked to Tammy Gaw, uh, and she's a, she's a lawyer. She was she's an athletic trainer and a lawyer, and that was her thing. Is she was like there was all these things that I was seeing that I couldn't get answers to, that I couldn't figure out, that I couldn't help with. So I went and got my law degree. Well, that was her core value. That was something that was really mm-hmm. important to her. And so it's similar similar here. And so if, so if it's not, go ahead. I I don't know if you've read Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game. Mm-mm. Um. It's an excellent book. I recommend for everyone listening to read this. Um, but he talks in the book about the idea of an infinite versus a finite game. Um, and living life is an infinite game, right? There, no one wins at life. No one, you, you're not the winner of life and you get a trophy and whatever. So um, I, I see this as in, in this higher education and people, what they're choosing is the is an infinite game, right? You, you have to see these degrees, whether it's a DAT, PhD, EDD, whatever, in the infinite game mindset. So yes, it would take you mathematically 20 years to recoup the cost of the education. But what would you, what is the exponential growth you would see in yourself over those 20 years? So in theory, you could increase your dividends exponentially year over year, and then it wouldn't take you mathematically 20 years to do that. Um, but when you're thinking about it from that, that concept of an, of an infinite game versus the finite game of winning the financial battle versus improving yourself for the rest of your life, um, that's where I see the, the disconnect with money. And the reason that um, it really, to me, the financial burden, and it might be because I'm young and it might be because I was lucky or, or um fortunate enough to be in a position that I could take a graduate assistantship, but um, this, the infinite part of it, the the continued learning and the exponential growth throughout my career was part of my core value and more important to me necessarily than recouping the costs over time. Um, but if that's something that matters to you, and I know it matters to you, Jeremy, because you, we just talked last time about how you're paying off your house and you don't want to pull or take any more money. There are other ways to do that, the other ways to improve your practice. Um, 
then having to do to violate your core values to do the best option if that makes sense yeah totally and like you said if you're looking at it solely for i want to make more money then it doesn't make sense but if it's i want to improve who i am i want to give myself more options i want to give myself uh of my athletes better i want to find the answer to this question then you have to factor in those because like you said there's the time there's the dissatisfaction you know they always talk about the main reason people leave jobs is because they don't feel um valued or appreciated you know well if you if you can add that value to others by getting that degree or by learning how to implement those big changes then maybe that balances out the the financial part for you or maybe that overrides the financial part for you so All right. You anything else about the PhD? Not anything about the PhD. Um, I have a final thought. I was just thinking about for for all the practicing athletic trainers listening. Um, if, if you're someone who has those questions, but you're you're questioning whether or not you want to get or you should go to get your PhD to answer them, I would recommend reaching out to someone who is doing research in that field and creating a relationship with them. Um, even though you might not have your PhD, you can still do research. And those uh, PhD holders will should or could be able to help you move forward through that research. So say you wanted to do research on whether or not uh, Theraguns are useful in practice. And you, you, let's say you've been using them and you see kind of mixed results and you really want to know the answer. You don't necessarily have to go get your PhD for four years just to answer that question. You could reach out to a biomechanist or reach out to a physiologist and they could help you set up the research and you could be the person who is who is doing that research in, in clinical practice. And like I said, come back and synthesize the information with them to create that answer. Um, and most people I know with a PhD would be incredibly happy to do that because it helps them it's it's takes away the the burden of having to try to find the question um i think people with phds want to answer questions that are valuable to those working in clinically and if no one's reaching out telling us what we need to answer what questions are still out there we can't answer them so if you do have one of those questions do do the same research you would do if you're looking look to schools look for people who are doing that research reach out to them see what they know see if they would be willing to look into that or if they know people or and, and start that process for yourself. That's what I mean by there's other ways to do this and answer these questions without having to incur a debt or change your core values or um, do something you don't necessarily want to do. That's good. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say that, but that is fantastic because if you're seeking those answers, if you need to know if, again, say Theragun works or not, or if it does good on this, but you don't want to go get your doctorate, spend two years getting your doctorate, and then spend another two, four years, whatever it is, researching whether it is or not. Well, by that time, you know, it, you've already forgotten. So just reaching out and saying, hey, I want to know this answer. Can I help you? figure out the answer. What can I do to help? How can I, you know, test it out here in my school? What data can I collect? What, what how can I participate? So that's a, that's a really good option if you're really wanting answers, but not 
to create the answer. Right, exactly. Cool. All right, so we've covered a good bit about the doctorate athletic training and the PhD, and so we're going to kind of compare and contrast them the next time we talk, and I don't know if it's next week or the week after. Um, But, Matt, do you have some students who are, um, I guess, questioning whether or not they get their DAT and PhD that we could possibly bring on, and then we could just have like a little roundtable and answer some of their questions and talk about some of the thoughts and the answers and, and their core values and whys? Um, currently we have one student coming in from our program who is starting in the fall getting their PhD. Um, I could easily, I could definitely reach out to him. I don't think he'd have any issue coming on and talking, but, um, like I said, Dr. Matt Rivera, he's one of the core faculty here. He's also a DAT holder who's getting his PhD. So he was indisposed today, but I think he would also love to kind of just have that round table discussion. Um, and kind of just talk about exactly our whys and why we did this and what our core values are and, and how, I think it would also be interesting to bring on um, clinicians who are curious uh, like you, but not necessarily thinking about going to get their PhD and kind of showing each other the, the ins and outs of that situation. I think that would be excellent. Okay, so if you're watching live on Facebook now or later, then reach out real quick and we want to we want you to join us for this conversation if you're listening to the podcast it comes out you know a good bit later and we probably will have already recorded this other one but still reach out and it may be a time where you know in august or september october november december whatever it is that we say okay well we're going to schedule this you know second third fourth round of dat phd discussions so email email me or matt again matt's about to give you all the ways to get a hold of him but it's also in the show notes at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash phd or sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash d-a-t so both of those have all of matt's contact information he's he's about to give it to you but we want you to reach out and be part of that conversation i know that there was a couple of people on facebook and twitter that i was going back and forth with and so i'm going to reach out to them and see if they can join us once me and matt set the date and the time and we want to help answer those questions as i work through what i'm going to do i want you to also work through what you are going to do so matt very best way to get a hold of you? Um, absolute best way to get a hold of me is probably uh, my email. It's mdresher, D R E S C H E R, at sycamores.indstate.edu. Um, I'm also on Twitter uh, at Matt underscore Dresher. And then my Instagram is at Dreshem, D R E S C H E M. Good. And if you <clears throat> have not ever checked out Audible, then I would recommend doing that. It's not anyway sponsored, but I listen to the to Audible when I'm running, and so that way you can check out the <clears throat> excuse me the books uh, Simon Sinek Infinite Game that uh, Matt just talked about, and that there was another book that he talked about and mentioned in the very top. I don't remember what it is, but so you could you easily use Audible to read some of those books while you are. Where is it? Oh no, it was, it was the article about the DAT PhD that I was thinking of. Um, Northeastern. Yeah. So I'm going to try and include that link in the show notes as well. Um, but Audible is a great way to check out those books while you're exercising, commuting, whatever it is, um, and go from there. And I think the, the those from Simon, Simon Sinek usually have like some questions and, and uh, like workbook things along with them as well. Is that right? Yes. So I've read the Audible book, so I don't actually have the physical copy. Uh, but typically those types of books have those um, sort of 
uh, like work along kind of projects. I'm not sure the Infinite Game has that in it, but he has some other books that do have those like actionable steps you can take. Okay, so check that out. Let us know. But again, we want you to reach out to us. Matt just gave you all of his contact information. Again, it's sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash DAT for the last week conversation about the Doctorate of Athletic Training or PhD for this week's conversation. And it doesn't matter if you capitalize them or not. It's going to take you to the same space. No periods, just DAT or PhD. And then once we schedule that next conversation, we look forward to answering your questions because that's one of Matt's core value is finding the answers to those questions. <clears throat> if you want to get, you want to check out the ISU uh, Instagram, it's Indiana state DAT on Instagram or ISU athletic, uh, ISU ATHL training. So F training, ISU athletic training on Twitter, or you could probably type in ISU DAT and then all the contact information there as well. So I am Mr. Jeremy Jackson on Instagram, Twitter, Sports Medicine Broadcast on Facebook and all that stuff as well. Reach out, comment in the Facebook live comment section, DM me, email me, any of that stuff. We want to have you join us. So again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash PhD. So for Dr. Matthew Drescher, Jeremy Jackson, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.